Hello and welcome to HCI's Regulation and Quality and Safety of Care podcast. I'm Rosemary Pollard, Senior Marketing Executive at HCI. And I'm joined today by Serena Horkin, Senior Quality and Safety Specialist at HCI and Abby Farrelly, Quality and Safety Specialist at HCI. In today's podcast, we'll be asking Serena and Abby for some guidance on what home support services um, should be considering when implementing a quality and safety management system um, within their service. So I suppose just to start off, we know that regulation of home care is coming. The draft regulations for providers of home support services, they were released earlier this year in June, and um, they set out the minimum requirements for providers of home support services must meet in order to obtain a license to operate. So now I suppose if they haven't already, is really the time for providers to be looking at their structures and their processes, I suppose, to really understand um, if they have the necessary systems in place to be regulatory compliant. So Serena, can you um, start by giving us maybe a brief background to home care, um, the types of services that are offered and maybe briefly explain why regulation of the sector is so important now? Hi, Rosemary. Thanks very much. I guess the origins of home care can be seen right back to the old home health scheme that we would have had, um, which which originated from the Health Act in roughly 1970. And basically, um, at that time, it, communities would have, um, you know, sort of identified their older people in their population and would have received support locally from maybe people that might have been living at home. And for the most part, wasn't um, wasn't an awful lot of oversight certainly no regulation as we know um, and and very little formal documented standards in place. However, we've seen a massive shift in Ireland and certainly when you look at any of the the sort of longitudinal studies out there, um, we have seen that our older people are living longer than ever before. And um, over the last 100 years, for example, the life expectancy in Ireland has risen by seven, seven decades. And we're looking at 80.4 years for women and eight, excuse me, for men and 84 um, years of age for women. So that's certainly a, a huge jump to where we were over 100 years ago. So with that comes um, complexities with regard to our comorbidities that we may have and risks with regard to um, to maintaining sort of a high quality of life, disability free for as long as reasonably practical. Um, and we, we've also seen really with with the background to home care as well and, and the increase around it, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, I guess, highlighted um, infection controls, risks associated with congregated settings. And um, this resulted on a focus in supporting people maybe to remain in their homes for the future to provide safer, safer protection against infectious outbreaks. And of course, there was a... Um, a report on a study completed by HICWA on the impact of COVID-19 in nursing homes. And there was a recommendation um, from the reform of Ireland's social model to look at um, home supports and assisted living and daycare access to remove away from our traditional model of nursing home care. So, of course, that has, again, cr- um, placed an increased emphasis and increased, um, I guess, constraints on our home support services as well. When we look at the types of services delivered in Ireland, for the most part, our home care services are for persons over the age of 65. We do have some people that are receiving home care through the PA, personal assistant or disability supports as well. And um, 
I guess the aim really for that is to support people to remain in their own homes for as long as reasonably practical. And of course, there may be um, sort of factors that that increase the risk for them to remain at home and another setting may need to be explored. And typically the types of services that we have around home care is assisting people to get in and out of bed, their, addition, their activities of daily living or what we would call ADLs and our personal care such as shopping and um, collection of, of groceries. And of course, any other activities that are performed, we would always say we need to do a risk based approach to it. In addition to that, we would also have what we would call the consumer directed home support schemes, whereby the HSE have selected through a tendering process, um, which of course does have a foundation of quality system in place using the National Safer Better Healthcare Standards released from HICWA. So the, the consumer or the service user and indeed their family would select from um, a number of home care agencies, uh, the agency that they would like to have their care delivered um, from. And then we would also see, for example, that some um, clients or some service users prefer to purchase care themselves. And sometimes they would purchase that care directly from a home care provider to supplement the care hours that they have been awarded from the consumer directed home support scheme. Or indeed, if they did not meet that criteria, they may decide to go ahead and supplement their own um, private care theme around that um, completely um, out of pocket themselves. With regard to our our need for regulation, as I said, with our increasing age comes increasing risks. And if we look at our chronic conditions alone and arthritis and dementia, um, arthritis, we see a 50 percent, 53 percent, excuse me, increase in arthritic pain and a decrease in daily um, activities or the delivery of daily activities for our service users and dementia as well. We are seeing record breaking highs with regard to our dementia diagnoses. Um, we 47,000 people in Ireland, for example, in 2011 with dementia and this projected growth by 2041 will be 132,000 um, people as well. And of course, this varies by gender. So in addition to obviously the, the sort of the chronic conditions and dementia, something as simple as falls um, can have huge implications for somebody's quality of life, um, you know, and also not just their quality of life from the example of psychological pain and the financial impact, but also risks around polypharmacy. Um, recognising about 27% of the population at the moment for the older person are taking more than five medications daily. So you can see with all those high risks, arthritis, dementia, polypharmacy, falls, there needs to be some sort of oversight and needs to be a framework to, um, to ensure safe, high quality care to service users. And in addition to that, we need regulatory oversight with regard to financial planning to ensure that we have the appropriate resources in place um, from a financial perspective. For example, like 23.6 million older persons receive 55,675 hours um, care delivery, which really doesn't, if we look at the statistics there, doesn't meet the demand of what our, what our current need is in this sector at the moment. Okay, thanks, Sabrina, for that background. Um, so home care, I suppose, regulation of sector is going to be an important step to ensuring safe and high quality care um, is offered to the service user. 
Um, I suppose having the quality and safety management system then will definitely um, support providers with their regulatory compliance. Um, just to begin then our discussion around the quality and safety management system, I suppose before the implementation, it will be important to have a plan and a structure in place for the implementation. I suppose one of the first things you might do um, to prepare is conduct gap analysis of your service. I suppose just to really identify where the gaps are or even where the risks are that may cause concern. Serena, could you give us maybe some guidance on conducting a gap analysis um, against the draft regulations? And I suppose what kind of outputs are you looking to get from the planning stage to prepare for um, implementing the quality and safety management system? Sure, no problem. Um, as I mentioned, we do have uh, national safer, better healthcare standards under the, I guess, sort of the law of the Health Act 2007. HICWA are responsible for developing standards. It's broken down into eight themes and in the standards, then what is useful for a gap analysis is it gives you examples, specific examples of when the standard is actually met and what it actually looks like. So certainly we should be using the um, national safer, better healthcare standards to look at a full review. Um, using a root branch approach and it's not really to identify the changes um, can we by th through looking at things deeply and um, can we make the changes looking at the draft regulations as well in support of the national safer better healthcare standards is important and when you're completing a gap analysis tool it's important that you would use a triangulation approach a triangulation approach is that you use the documentation review to support whatever the theme, or in this case with our draft regulation, the standard is looking for. And then you would look at the measurable outputs as well through interview and observation. And it's it's only if the, I guess, the registered provider or the senior management in the organization can have assurances on all three areas that would be the documentation review, the interview, and the observation of the practices as well. Can they assure themselves from a governance perspective that they are fully meeting the required standard? From your gap analysis being completed, obviously, and having your strong governance framework in place, an organisation should identify the gaps, OK, or what we would call the quality improvement plans that need to be put in place, along with a time frame and responsibility and draft a project team to start to look at implementing evidence based practice um, to provide assurances um, to the governance team, but also most importantly to the service users in receipt of that service. Hey, thanks, Serena. Abby, can you highlight some of the common challenges or gaps in the quality and safety management systems that home care organisations um, can often face? So, yeah, I suppose there's many challenges facing home care organisations in Ireland at the moment. And these challenges ultimately can result in the organisation struggling to provide basic standards of care and being unable to focus on establishing a quality safety management system. Firstly, if we start at having effective resources, it's been well documented across Ireland that we're experiencing a healthcare staffing crisis, and that's across all industries. And one of those industries hit particularly bad is the home care sector. Um, we know that many home care organisations across the country are pumping lots of resources into recruiting and maintaining staff from a very limited pool of high skilled home support workers. The hours themselves for home care can be unsocial. They require early starts, late finishes, and often traveling from to and from multiple different homes in a day. Often home support workers uh, don't have the same benefits as they would have if they were working in a different industry. And this can suit some workers if that's the flexibility that they're looking for. 
but for the majority it can make the home care sector seem like a very unattractive place to work so recruiting and keeping staff is one of those challenges I suppose um, and we know the effect that this has on an organisation if an organisation doesn't have effective staffing levels with the right skill mix it's impossible to provide safe high quality care to both their existing service users and then obviously potential service users and we see this across the healthcare industry particularly when HICWA have come into our nursing homes and only recently our CTO Una Gavari covered this in a webinar um, where she looked at a summary of HICWA findings in the residential setting and um, HCI looked at 20 HICWA inspection reports between March and May of this year and of the 20 sampled all 20 were reviewed for staffing um, so this is a big issue and I suppose HICWA are having a big focus on it time and time again and there's a lot of emphasis being put on improving the quality of service um, and I suppose we can expect the same for home care organisations when HICWA do come in. Um, when we don't have an effective staffing level, organisations can't maintain the home care package agreements that they currently have or they can't look at expanding the service uh, to supply the huge waiting lists across all CHOs. And this means that service users aren't getting the home care that they're being referred for in a timely manner, but also it makes staying at home for as long as possible not really a viable option for them. And when we have staff shortages, shortages we see high levels of staff burnout and high attrition rates across the sector, which has a drastic impact on the home care organisation itself and obviously the service users then and their continuity of care. Um, and if you don't have the staff to maintain the service, and you're firefighting on an everyday basis, it's very difficult then to focus on a quality management system. Then I suppose the nature of home care and home support workers, um, they're lone workers and that can be a challenge in itself. And as an organisation, you have to make sure that you have adequate supervision and support for those lone workers. And they're in multiple different environments and you need them to make the right call every time. So you have to make sure that your policies and procedures are up to date and in line with best practice, but also that they're being effectively communicated to the loan worker um, and that they're following the right steps and escalating as required. And then lastly, individualised care in the home care industry can be a challenge. So as a home care organisation, you have to keep a balance between, you know, understanding that it's the client's home and it's the client's preference and respecting their service users' rights in their home, but also ensuring that it's a safe space for home support workers whose job is to provide safe and effective care. And I suppose that is a challenge that's probably unique to home care, whereas in nursing homes, we we kind of we can ensure that the environment, for example, is well lit or well ventilated or that we have the equipment that we need. And in home care, it's it's a bit different. You don't necessarily have those supports or structures in place to be able to do that. And that leaves an organisation very open and vulnerable to risk. So if you're an organisation that's focusing on developing a quality management system where you identify and reduce these risks as part of that, it can be quite difficult um, in home care. So there are there are specific challenges to home care that I think are quite unique. And I think they'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how HICWA deals with individually with those home care organisations. Thanks, Abby. Um... There's definitely some unique challenges there to consider um, and I think implementing a comprehensive quality and safety management system will really help providers in dealing with um, I suppose many of those challenges you discussed. Um, so I suppose just going back then to the quality and safety management system, once the planning phase is completed, the next step then is to look at um, implementing a framework for the quality and safety management system. Um, this involves, I suppose, ensuring that you have good structures and processes in place to support positive outcomes for the service users. 
Um, Serena, from your experience, can you tell us what are the key considerations for developing good structures and processes? So when we look, first of all, at implementing the framework that we had spoke about previously, I guess what's important when we put any framework in place is to establish any sort of checks or balances or early warning indicators. And, and from that, it's important that we, we identify what our outcomes are going to be. Um, one of the, um, the projects that HCI, our best practice team, undertook was to review um, what went very wrong in healthcare. And we specifically looked at developing a white paper around Mid-Staffordshire report and the Liverpool Trust Community Health Services, um, among many other um, things that went wrong in healthcare. And from that, the key recommendations um, regarding what went wrong was looking at the lack of clarity around processes, the lack of clarity around the oversight, the roles and responsibilities with that and communication. And this goes back to what is the structure what is the process and what is the outcome? And when we set off to do anything new or develop any new process in any sector, um, including home care, we need to take this approach. So if we look first of all at the structure, very important that organisations have a very clear organisational structure with line management within it. Um, your organisational structure should identify who the reporting manager is and also the, um, the communication really through the organisation as well. We then need to look at are there any organisational charts or teams and committees in place and usually they are um, tasked with the oversight and monitoring um, you know, uh, roles and responsibilities. So that might be, for example, an infection prevention control team, a risk team, a care team, a service team. And normally what would happen is they have a standardised agenda, standardised minutes, that are used to ensure that key areas are discussed at every meeting, a meeting schedule in place, and they would feed that information into the management team, ultimately then going to the board of directors to ensure that there's good communication and that there is good um, oversight. In addition to that, of course, we do need to have processes to guide us on how we do that and have clarity around our roles and responsibilities. So our job descriptions are very important here to identify exactly what we need to do. Um, you know, who's responsible for, for what, who's responsible for the communication, who's responsible for auditing, who's responsible for generating policies. So that's very much um, a cornerstone there. When we look now at our processes, if we don't establish what we're going to do, how we're going to do it and where we're going to do it and all the elements with that, including our documentation, we'll all go off and do things um, in a different way. So that's why it's so important that we have a process, a policy that tells us what we're going to do and a procedure is telling us step by step how to do it so everybody is doing the same thing. But when we're developing policies and procedures, it's very important that we adhere to best practice when developing a policy and procedure. So one of the training deliveries, for example, that HCI would have done recently is um, supporting organisations on how to actually develop a policy and procedure using the PPG best practice uh, processes out there, uh, which we are required to use. And of course, there's seven stages to developing an actual policy and procedure. Obviously, when we go and develop a policy and procedure, it's very important that we source the best practice to ensure that we have evidence based policies and procedures in place and we follow the correct frameworks. And certainly when we are looking to develop our policies and procedures and our processes for home care, we now, of course, have the draft regulation out there. 
but that's not the only source we should be looking at. We have our National Safer Better Healthcare Standards and all those other reputable documents that need to be included and considered when we're developing a policy and procedure. So at the moment, the draft regulations tell us within Schedule 2 that we are required to have policies and procedures. And when we look at the required policies and procedures that we need to have in place, certainly the content of the policies and procedures is very specific to home care. So your policies and procedures um, will be very focused towards the scope of services that you provide in your sector. So in this case, we can see that high risk areas in home care, such as medication management supports, loan worker financial procedures, they come to the forefront for this sector um, for, for regulating this sector. Um, so the draft um, regulations that are out there certainly take all those high risk areas into consideration. And we can see then, of course, the outcome requirements or what we need to have in place is very much outlined in part 21 of those draft regulations, um, which it states that the service provider, for example, shall establish procedures for quality assurance for the purposes of establishing and maintaining the quality of services provided. So it's telling us here we have to do it. We have to have those processes, identify what the indicators of a good service are and be able to audit against those through our quality assurance program. Thanks, Serena. Um, and I suppose, Abby, from your experience then within home care, how important is it for staff to have these defined processes um, and structures in place? Yeah, so as Serena had mentioned, it's very important um, and, it's, and it's important for a number of different reasons for all healthcare settings. And I suppose um, that's why there is such an emphasis in, on governance and management in the new draft regulations, um, but also why HICWA has focused on this time and time again. A well-defined processes and structures ensure consistency in the service. And if, for example, home support staff are trained correctly on the organization's policies and procedures, they'll know what's expected of them in the many different scenarios that they face as loan workers. Um, not only that, but the opera operational staff assisting the home support workers and the service users um, can support them effectively if the right processes are in place and ultimately escalate into the right people. Um, and it's just, I suppose, consistency, as I said, across the service. And by having good structures and processes in place, home care organisations can focus on that quality assurance to establish and maintain quality and safety within the organisation. And I suppose once these processes are in place, then it's really important for the service to ensure that there is continuous audit and evaluation of the processes. Um, I suppose this is really about ensuring our understanding if the organisation is doing what they said they would do uh, within the policies. Abby, um, can you maybe outline some of the key elements for an effective auditing model for a home support service? Yeah, so auditing is so essential in every healthcare organisation. Um, and auditing has to be completed on a regular basis by trained, competent staff. The auditing procedure itself has to be vigorous and it has to review all aspects of services conformity, not only to the new draft regulations, but also to the individual organisation's policies and procedures. And a key element of the auditing process starts with the organisation's policies and procedures, making sure that they're in line with best practice and then auditing practice practice in the field against those policies and procedures. When that audit is completed, then it's looking at what we're actually doing with these findings and looking at what actions need to be taken to correct any non 
conformity to the policies or procedures or the regulations and then communicating those findings and corrections to the appropriate people within the organisation. So I suppose it's not just important that you have an auditing process in place, but it needs to be effective and it needs to be identifying issues. And then there needs to be a comprehensive follow up and close out of those findings. Okay, thanks, Abby. Um, so another key area then is the governance. Serena, you've already touched upon governance um, and structures earlier in the conversation, but maybe you might elaborate on um, what oversight measures the management team should be putting in place to support governance and I suppose to really drive continuous quality improvement. I, indicators of compliance um, and strong governance in an organisation, specifically the, the home care sector, um, as I said um, previously, we have to first of all identify the scope of practices that we provide. The draft regulations are very clear, um, as have been the HSE tendering processes for a long period of time of what things we should be monitoring. So, for example, complaints, staff turnover, looking at um, high risk areas, our you know, our reviews, how often we do our care plan reviews, our assessment reviews, looking at our risk management processes, looking at the admissions onto the service, the amount of care delivery hours. They're just a small example um, of some of the areas we can put in place of some of the KPIs or key performance indicators that we can put in place to monitor our service. From a governance perspective, the governance team, the competent, highly skilled governance team need to be Agreeing, first of all, identifying from the draft standards and also the National Safe for Better Healthcare standards, agreeing what those indicators are going to be and to put a structured programme in place for reporting or for monitoring, I should say, what the benchmark should be and then reporting um, to the governance team on a monthly basis. And uh, the oversight and monitoring, then we need to explore if there's any gaps, if there's any changes, if the um, figures are going up or down, we need to ask the question why. Thanks, Serena. Um, I suppose just one more area then that I want to quickly touch upon is risk management. Abby, can you maybe describe some of the main risks associated with home care and offer some guidance on measures um, that could be put in place to, I suppose, effectively manage risks and I suppose to minimise them? So, yeah, and I suppose we touched on this earlier in the conversations, but a lot of the risk in home care stems from environmental risk. And what we have to consider here is that it's the client's home um, and it's the service user's private space and the home support worker's working environment. And for both reasons, we need to ensure that we're making recommendations to the service user to keep them as safe as possible in their home, but also to reduce the risk to the home support worker, making sure that they're safe and that they're able to perform the tasks that they need to. For example, you could have a service user who's a falls risk. Um, or you could have a service user who has mobility challenges and requires assistance of more than one carer or one staff member and needs specialised equipment. And similarly, you could be providing care for a service user who has cognitive impairment or behavioural challenges um, or a service user who's at risk of dehydration or malnutrition. So I think, you know, to reduce the risk, you need to ensure that your staff are trained in identifying those risks and that there's a structure in place for reporting the risks and actioning them. Um, and it's really about walking through and planning in detail how that care will be provided and recording it on the service user's home support plan so that both the home support worker and the service user are fully aware and educated on the potential risks and how they can be reduced and reduce ultimately chances of adverse events. Um, to reduce the risk, you need to ensure that your, your organisation 
um, has, as I said, good escalation processes and that they know what to do when there is a risk there and how to, I suppose, mitigate that risk. And the only way you can do that really is is training the staff from frontline carers to the employees that assess the clients um, and the operational staff who support in the field staff um, that everyone is aware, aware of those risks, but not just in one off induction training. Um, the training needs to be refreshed and updated to ensure that the staff are constantly vigilant. Um, and in terms of governance, then organisations need to be reporting and recording incidences, investigating them, trending them and looking how to reduce those risks in future. And they need to be communicating those findings to the appropriate staff and highlighting the risk in the personal support plans of the individuals who are high risk and linking that then to the relevant community organisations. Thanks, Abby. So just to finish off our discussion then, is there any final piece of advice that either of you would want to offer home support services, I suppose, looking to implement the quality and safety management system to support their regulatory compliance? Start the gap analysis now, uh, become familiar with the draft regulations, um, because when HICWA do come in, they will expect that your organisation is compliant with the draft regulations. That would be my piece of advice. Um, definitely, I'd second what Abby has has said, but um, I guess to start with um, and supplement what she'd said earlier, to start educating your uh, your staff and also your service users. Certainly, the gap analysis is very very important, but to look at um, you know the risks in the environment and at least be able to put those risks on your risk register, and to start to highlight some some of those risks as an organisation. Um, HICWA do use as part of their framework a very risk based approach to all of their inspections. So therefore, it would be beneficial that we would follow the framework that will be used um, when regulation of this sector comes into into the front line. Um, as Abby said, the regulations at the moment are in draft. However, they do give us a foundation of, you know, possibly where the um the main areas will will what the main areas will look like when the um home care sector is regulated. Start with your educations, start explaining to service user users what regulation is, identify your risks start to discuss your risk, escalate your risks where necessary with the funder, which may be the HSE. Um, identify your resourcing needs as well, because of course, resources is key to this. Um, and it is very important that you know about your gaps rather than waiting for your regulator to come in and inform you of what your gaps are. Okay, well, thank you to Serena and Abby um, for all the valuable insight into the development of a quality and safety management system. Uh, if anyone would like any further information or assistance, then please do get in touch with HCI. Thanks for listening.